All right, friends, this is the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, and uh, we've got a new sermon series for you today, and we are going to dig now into the book of Romans. If you have your Bible, let me invite you to open it up to Romans chapter 1. Pastor Matt and I are encouraging you to bring your Bible with you to church. So if you did, well done. If not, you can bring it next week. We want you to get used to feeling it in your hand and opening it, reading from it. You can also read from the scripture that's in front of you in the pew rack. You can pull it there, or you can read from uh, the screen as I read along. And this is from Romans 1, verse 16. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't want to do it. You have to do it but I can't. Yes, you can. No, I won't do it. Jackie, if you don't do it, they will die. This is how the conversation went between my friend Jackie and her father. Jackie was 12 years old at the time, and her father, Mr. Beverly Roller, was a farmer. And together they raised Holstein cattle And a funny thing about little baby cows called calves is just like little baby humans, sometimes they get sick and they get colds and they get respiratory infections and they get pneumonia. And sometimes uh, a pill is enough to make them better, but sometimes cows like little baby humans need shots. They need shots. And so on this day, uh, Bev, the farmer, was on his way out of town for four or five days, and some of the calves were sick, and they needed shots, and there was only one person who could give the shots. That was daughter Jackie, who was left behind to tend to the farm while her dad was out of town. And so her dad said to her, Jackie, if you don't give the shots to the calves, they will die. Jackie said, pushing that needle into the calf's flesh was one of the hardest things that I ever had to do in my life. She said, I remember being so afraid, but I loved those animals. And eventually I overcame the fear and I became more confident. She said, I'm sure it did not feel good for the calves, but it saved their life. It saved their life. Brothers and sisters, all around this community and all around this world, there are people who are sick with an illness that we call sin. God has entrusted the medicine to you. And the question is, are you willing to give the shot? Are you willing to give the medicine to hurting people in this community and all around the world so that their lives can be saved. This is the truth, friends. And it is painful at first, right? It's hard for us to hear. It's hard for us to do, just like giving shots. But the remedy is eternal life. And so we have been given this gospel of Jesus Christ, not only for ourselves and for our salvation, but for the whole world. Welcome to our new series. It's called No Apologies. Last summer, I asked you, hey, what 
book of the Bible would you most like to hear us preach from? And uh, of all the New Testament books that you requested, the top requested book is the letter to the Romans. And so we are preaching in July through the letter to the Romans. I'm going to invite you also to read through the letter to the Romans according to the Connections Journal. It's in your bulletin each week. It's also on the Timberlake app on your smartphone. So if you download the Timberlake app, you can get the Connections Journal there. We are going to read four chapters a week for four weeks. Guess how many chapters in the book of Romans? 16. You're so smart. You're so smart. Four chapters a week. So this week is Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4, along with the psalm and a gospel reading. Okay, so please, please read this. We'll read through the book of Romans together. Um, Surely there's more that we could cover in just one month. We could spend a year on the book of Romans, but this will at least be a start. And so we're going to hit some of the highlights. Romans comes in the New Testament scriptures right after Acts and right before the first letter to the Corinthians. And scholars agree it is the most robust, sustained theological treatise that the Apostle Paul gives to us. Paul has written a lot of the New Testament, but this is his most sustained theological argument that he has made. It is at the same time deeply wise and theological, but also it is practical and useful for day-to-day life of following after Jesus. And we know this because we see it in its effect in the lives of other people. So maybe people you know, people I know, but also those who've come before us in the faith, like uh, Martin Luther, like St. Augustine, like uh, Karl Barth, like John Wesley. All of these are people, giants of the faith, whose lives of faith were influenced by reading Romans or by hearing people preach on Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans plumbs the depths of the human heart and it explores the reality of our human existence. Uh, It deals with the decisions and the destiny of all people who have ever lived. It is at the same time an argument. It is a conversation, it is a theological treatise, and uh, it is a guide to our getting connected with the living God. Most of all, Romans is about our salvation. Romans is a story of our salvation. Now, if all of that sounds kind of heady and deep to you, do not fear. Uh, Romans, at its purest form, is a letter. Okay, I want you to imagine right now, go back to elementary school when you learned how to write a letter. Do you remember the parts of the letter? You had kind of an introduction, a greeting, right? And then you had um, the introductory comments, and then you had the body of the letter, and then at the end you had the closing and the signature. Uh, Paul writes the same way that your second grade teacher taught you to write a letter. Okay, so it's the same. So here's the outline for Paul's letter to the Romans. The opening is in the first seven verses. And then he gives thanks to God. And then there is the theme, right? The thesis statement. Do you remember at the beginning of your essays, you say, here is what this paper is about, okay? So Paul is giving the theme in verses 16 and 17. And then the body of the letter, the biggest chunk of it is chapters 2 through 15. And he deals with things like a theology of God's righteousness and of what Israel means for us and uh, ethical considerations for the Christian life. And then finally, what we call greetings and doxology. Greetings is like when he says, hey, say hi to so-and-so for me. You know, say hi to so-and-so for me. And doxology means praise. Okay, praise God for all his blessings. Praise God for you who now read this letter. Love, Paul. 
Okay, so this is the letter from Paul to Rome and now also to us. And again, we're not going to cover everything in four weeks. It would take us a year or more to really unpack all of Romans. We're going to hit some highlights and we're going to start with this theme verse, verse 16. Okay, scholars agree. This is what the letter to the Romans is about. Paul says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I will not shrink back from this, from the gospel. I will not apologize for it. No apologies for the gospel. Now, here's the thing, friends. We should be quick to apologize for lots of things. The disciples of Jesus should be the first to apologize when there is sin, when there is brokenness, when there is hurt, when there is disobedience. We should be quick to apologize and quick to offer forgiveness, we who have been forgiven. But we should never, ever apologize for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should never, ever apologize for our faith in Him who has loved us. Okay, and so Paul says as much. But why do you suppose that Paul went out of his way to say, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Why would people think that he probably should be or that he might be ashamed of the gospel? Any idea? Because of the cross. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, we who live in 2019... It it doesn't always occur to us the meaning of the cross in the same way that people who lived in the first century would have understood it. Okay, so we get it. The cross is a device for torture. We get it. The cross is the device for execution. What is sometimes lost on us is that the cross is also an instrument of humiliation. It was designed to bring shame on the person who was crucified. How did they do that? Well, uh, for starters, you were crucified in public, right? Up on the top of a hill so that everyone could see. And they hung a sign above Jesus' head. Oh, he, he thinks he's the king of the Jews. People were crucified in the nude, okay? You were naked. So if you can imagine how embarrassing it would be just to be naked in public in, in any space, but to be killed naked in public for everyone to see. This was designed to bring shame on the person who was crucified. It was designed to uh, strengthen the power of the emperor. So don't you dare disobey the emperor. It was designed to put fear into the hearts of people. If you mess up, this is what happens to you next. That's why Paul said, I am not ashamed because this cross which was designed to bring shame he says i refuse to let it bring shame because that jewish rabbi from nazareth who you crucified he's my savior paul saying he's my savior he's the one who can save me he's the messiah the one sent by god the anointed one who we have been praying for all of these hundreds and hundreds of years you see that would have been a disgraceful and appalling idea Because the people who were crucified were the least of the least. They were the lowest human beings. They were thought of as terrible. These were the worst worst felons in the community, right? These were people who received the death penalty for their crimes. And Paul is saying, well, the, the one is my Savior, Jesus 
Christ. He is my Savior. And so I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of it. Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed that he looks so weak hanging there because actually in his weakness is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the one who was born in that podunk little town of Bethlehem because you know what? Actually, he comes from heaven. I'm not ashamed that my Savior was crucified because on the third day he was raised from the dead. I'm not ashamed of of what people intended for evil because God has used it for good. And you know what else? I'm not ashamed of my own personal faults and problems and all the things that I did in the past that seem shameful. I used to be ashamed of them, but I'm not anymore. You know why? Because God has transformed all that stuff about who I used to be and made me new so that all that bad stuff has been transformed into something good for God's purposes. And now that is my testimony. And so I'm not ashamed of that either. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Friends, what is the gospel? We use that word a lot around church. Oh, the gospel. What is the gospel? Uh, I wonder if you know it. I wonder if you believe it. I wonder if you're willing to tell it. I wonder if you're willing to live it. The gospel comes from a Greek word called euangelion, which means good news. Everybody say good news. Good news. The gospel very simply means the good news, the euangelion. So Paul says, I am not ashamed of the euangelion. I am not ashamed of the good news. Okay, so the euangelion is the, what's on the front page of the Jerusalem Herald on Easter Sunday morning when you woke up on the first Easter and you walked out your front door and the newspaper was laying there. It said, He is risen. Okay, this is the good news. He is risen. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only did He die, but He rose from the dead. Now, here's where your part comes in. Notice with me, the word euangelion is very close to the word what? Evangelism. This is where we get our word evangelism. What does evangelism mean? It means telling the good news of Jesus by our words and by our actions so that others can come into relationship with Him. So the euangelion, the good news of the gospel of Jesus, is the reason for our work of evangelism, for telling about Jesus to the world. If we're going to share this gospel, we have to know this gospel. And if I know you, I think I know your heart that you have a desire to share it with people. But I hear some of you say, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to share the gospel. And I haven't memorized enough of the Bible yet, and I'm not really a scholar or a theologian. How can I possibly do it? I want to give you today something that you can take with you and share with the people who you love when you share with them the gospel. Okay, so this is the note-taking portion of the sermon. If you're a note-taker, if it helps you to write things down, this is the time to do it. If you want to do it on your phone and open up that little notepad, I promise I will assume that you're taking notes on the sermon and not checking Facebook or doing other social media, checking your email or making your grocery list or checking the score of the World Cup game. Don't you dare. Don't you dare check the score of the World Cup game. We'll see it later. All right. This is the gospel according to Romans. Four scripture verses that take us through Romans that uh, uh, sort of give us the basics 
of the gospel. All right, it starts with Romans 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so we start with the problem. This is the problem of the human condition, is that every person who has ever lived is a sinner, and all of us fall short of the glory of God. We are sinful, we are immoral, we are wicked, we are corrupt. We need to be honest about that. We need to tell the truth when you look in the mirror and say, okay, this, this is who I am. I am sinful. I am I'm broken. I am hurting. I have disobeyed God and I have hurt people I love. Uh, and the, what I find, friends, maybe you do, maybe you hear this temptation, people want to believe that they're good. And they'll say, yeah, but I'm a good person. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. And, and I'm not either, right? This is not me just pointing fingers. But you know, let's be honest. Nobody wants to hear that they're not a good person. And nobody wants to stand up here and say it either. Trust me. Not even pastors. This is the least fun part of my job is where I remind you of your sin, right? Because when I look in the mirror, I see the same thing. And what's true about you is also true about me, that we are sinful. But here's what I know. Someone has to tell the truth. Someone has to tell the truth. Aren't you, by the way, aren't you thankful when there's a problem in your life or in your family and someone just comes out with it and says it? Aren't you like, oh, thank God someone said it. Thank God someone said it. I didn't want to hear it, but now that you've said it, I'm so glad you said it, okay? That's my job, all right? I'm the chief truth teller for Timberlake Church, and my job is to tell you that you are a sinner, and I'm a sinner, okay? Now, hopefully, you'll still come back to church next week, even having heard that. Okay, so what now? So let's say we, just for sake of argument, we have accepted that we are sinful, that we are broken and corrupt and immoral. What do we do? Because we're, we're hopeless without, without anything else beyond ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We're in this impossible situation. Friends, there is hope, but not because of us, because of God and because God loves us anyway. God loves us anyway. Romans 5 verse 8 says, Paul, Paul says, God proves his love for us. In that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, this is the proof of God's love for you, Paul says, that you were a sinner and God the Father sent God the Son into the world to die for you anyway. And God did not wait for you to repent, God did not wait for you to get your act together. God made a way for you to be saved, and it is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Can you hear the gospel in this, friends? The gospel is not that you and I are good. The gospel is that you and I are not good, but God loves us anyway because God is good. Now, if that's a hard thing for you to get your head around, just take this for example. Think about the children in your life. Maybe your kids or your grandkids, or maybe if you don't have kids, somebody else's kids who, who you love. Do you love them because they're perfect? they're not perfect, are they? Sometimes, actually, they're miserable, aren't they? But you love them anyway. Why? Because they belong to you. Because you have claimed them. For some of you, because you gave birth to them, right? But you said, look, I'm in your life. I, I, I love you because you belong to me. Now, that's how the Heavenly Father is with you. The Heavenly Father says, I love you. Not because you're perfect, but because I claim you. Because I gave you life. Because I'm yours and, and you're mine. You belong to me, God says. 
Okay, so this, friends, is the gospel. And so God the Father offers the sacrifice of Jesus Christ the Son to die for us while we still are sinners to make it possible for us to repent, to take away our sin. John the Baptist says, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. Why does his death matter so much? Okay, let's keep going. Romans 6, verse 23. Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, wages of sin is death. What does that mean? It means that the natural consequence of our sin is death. It is destruction. It is condemnation. Sin will be punished, right? Sin will be condemned. But even if sin weren't punished, have you noticed how sin is punishment in itself? When we do things that are contrary to God's will, we end up in terrible places, in terrible situations in our lives. We become miserable. And so sin means we're, we're separated, we're alienated from God. And we're in a place of darkness and of corruption and of death. And God, on the other hand, is in pure light and blessing and goodness. And yet we're separated because of our sin. And so we receive this incredible gift. God says, I've made a way for you to overcome this gap. And the way is Jesus Christ. The way is Jesus Christ. And the gift that we receive is eternal life in His name. We cannot earn it. It is a gift. So imagine Christmas morning, the fire's in the fireplace, you're drinking eggnog or coffee, and there's a gift. It's got your name on it. It's under the tree and someone sets it in your lap, okay? It's a gift from God, and the gift is salvation. The gift is salvation. And God has done all the work to make it possible. God went shopping, and God wrapped it up in a beautiful package. All you have to do is unwrap it, okay? You, you didn't earn it. It's a gift. It's given to you freely, but all you have to do is unwrap it. Now, how do you unwrap the gift? Paul says, look here, Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, there's two things that we do to access this gift of salvation. Confess and believe. Everybody say confess and believe. Confess and believe. Good. Confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. Have you noticed every time someone joins this church, makes a profession of faith, we ask them, is Jesus Christ your Lord? If so, say, yes, I do. I believe in Jesus as my Lord. And to confess with your lips and to believe in your heart that he is raised from the dead. This is a life-changing reality, my friends. This is a matter of life or death. Okay, let me be honest, let me acknowledge, not everything that comes out of my mouth is a matter of life and death, okay? My kids will tell you. Plenty of the stuff that dad says doesn't seem to matter that much. But what I'm telling you right now is a matter of life and death. In sin, we are dying, but in Christ, we are living. And if you confess with your lips that he is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Okay, let me give you a quick summary. The gospel according to Romans. It looks like this. All have sinned. Christ died for you. Sin deserves death. 
but the eternal gift, the eternal life is Jesus' gift. If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart in the resurrection, you will be saved. Now, I want to try to make this as personal as I can because this is pretty heavy theology that we're talking today. And it would be easy to kind of leave it in the first century and say, oh, that's Paul's letter to the Romans. And isn't it good to understand cognitively our theology? Yes, we need to to be there, but we also need to be here. Okay, so here's my question. Do the people who you love believe this story? Okay, the person who lives next door to you, that really nice man who lives next door, does he believe in the gospel? And how about your favorite person at work? Does she believe in the gospel? And how about your best friend in the whole world? Does that person believe in the gospel? Are we getting personal yet? How about your family? How about your brother and your sister? How about your mom or your dad? How about your kids? How about your grandkids? Do they believe in the gospel? You see, if you believe this is true, then you would do everything in your power so that the people who you love would also know and share this story and claim it the way that you claim it. In just a minute, we're going to have an altar call. And we refer to it as Holy Communion. I get irritated when people say, oh, you you Methodists don't have altar calls. Actually, we have one every week at Timberlake at 11 o'clock. And we come up front and we confess that we're sinful. And we say, thank you, Jesus, for this grace that you've given us in the bread and in the cup. So I want you to come this morning. Come and, and say it out loud if you can bring yourself to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Thank you for loving me. Forgive my sin. Give me new life by your cross and resurrection.